this morning, I just want to carry on our, our series looking at, at hunger and zeal and hook back into the two talks that Sarah did two weeks ago. We've just done a couple of weeks series on worship. And, and take you back to a couple of verses in 2 Timothy, which Sarah shared with us as part of her talk. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I'm not going to use slides. I'm not going to make it easy for you today by putting anything on the screen unless somebody at the back of the room loves you more than me. Um, because one of the things I'm going to talk today about is to, about being intentional. So I'm going to just lean in and ask you to be intentional in reading the Bible with me today in whatever form you have it. 2 Timothy 1 verses 6 to 8 in the New International Version, not my favorite version, by the way, which is, of course, as you all know, New American Standard. Don't be afraid of the sound of your own voice. It's okay. New American Standard updated version. I'm going to stick with the NIV today. 2 Timothy 1, verse 6 to 8 says this. Paul talking to Timothy. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. This series, Hunger, translated into quite a lot of emphasis on the word zeal which Sarah has done a brilliant job, both recently and less recently, of explaining to us. And at this point, I would say to you, if you are part of this church community or you are visiting us today as a guest, really encourage you to be intentionally leaning into the podcast. It's really important that we feed ourselves on the food being served to us from this house, particularly if we belong here. You can go and snack anywhere else you want to. The internet's a big place. But family eats around its own table for a reason. So just want to encourage you to go back if you haven't already. And if you're a guest thinking about joining us, one of the great ways to fast track yourself to get to know us is to lean into the podcast and feed yourself on what we've been feeding ourselves on for quite a while. I look the way I do because of the food I eat. You're welcome. Um, the diet of any local church community shapes it. So one of the ways that you can fast track yourself to feeling a part of this community is to eat the same things as we do. That was a complete aside. The Welsh have a great word for zeal. I'm Welsh, by the way, if you didn't know that. It's called hoil. Did I sound Welsh while I said that? It's because it's a Welsh word. So when the Welsh want to talk about zeal, particularly when we're playing rugby, we say hoil. So... I couldn't think of a title for today's talk. I decided it was a bit like a baby. It'll, it'll get named after it's been delivered, right? Um, but if all else fails, we're going to call this talk Hoyle, because it's just Welsh and so am I. Paul's exhortation to Timothy here in these verses is to fan into flame the spark that's already within him. And that's really the launch pad for what I want to talk about today is how do you and I stir up within ourselves hunger or passion or fire or zeal or if you're one of my Welsh friends, hoil. You'll all remember that word now, won't you? I hope so anyway. Earlier this week, I lost um, 
a really dear friend of mine. He was a colleague for 11 years who was part of my team. I say lost him because I, I know, I, I don't think it's true to say I lost him. He died, but I haven't lost him. I know where he is. He went to be with Jesus on Thursday. And he had been battling uh, terminal illness for months. And I've been tracking with him and his wife, and we've been exchanging messages. And, and five weeks ago, he was given four weeks to live. And Sean decided that this was a battle now as a Christian. Even though he believed everything he believed, he was not going to win. And so he drew up a new plan for, for the last few weeks. And there are many remarkable things about that plan. But two of them were these. One, he wrote, he wrote to the cancer that was killing him. He wrote a letter. It's one of the most amazing things I've ever read. And secondly, he booked a teaching slot at his church community and said, this is going to be the last time I talk to you. So I'm going to deliver a message to you. Just as an aside, one of the things he said to cancer is, only one of us gets to survive this, and it's not you. Honestly, I read that and I thought, that is faith right there. He said, because you cannot go where I'm going. So you think you're going to win, but actually you're going to lose. It's a beautiful piece of writing. I've kept it because I said to, me, to Sean, Sean, you showed me how to live well. He's only 53. He's just a year older than me. And the closer they are in age to you, you feel it. But Sean, you are showing me how to finish well. Beautiful. But the other thing he did was he spoke to his church community. And I said, Sean, you've got to record it because I can't get there. So it is recorded. He said, I, I went on too long and there wasn't a dry eye in the house. I said, sounds a bit like my father, the bride's speech, Sean. <laughs> he spoke in faith, hope, and love. You're sitting there now probably listening to me in a way you weren't before. That's fine. The reason I tell you this is because 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy were written by Paul right at the end of his life. 2 Timothy was probably written at a point at which he was contemplating being martyred for his faith. He was writing to Timothy knowing that his time was up. This is probably the last time, Timothy, you were going to hear from me. I say that to you because it's really important then that when you read 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, you understand that Paul is thinking, man, this is my last opportunity to speak to him. What is it that I am going to deliver to him by way of key messages? And I think it could be summed up in two words. Live intentionally. I'll, I'll explain and perhaps justify that to you in a second. But I think Paul was saying at the end of his life to Timothy, whatever else you do, Timothy, live intentionally. Be intentional about the way you live. What we know about Timothy was this. Timothy was young. He was an introvert. I guess you're feeling quite included now, aren't you, a lot of you? Young and introvert. Definitely on the joining attributes for Final Life as a community. I'm working hard on that, let me tell you. Old and extrovert, come on. Um, or older, Sarah says I'm not old. 
and I believe everything she tells me. He was also easily scared. Paul wrote to a church once and said, I'm sending you Timothy, please don't scare him. Can you imagine that? It's like he got a letter, I'm sending you to speak, whatever you do, don't scare him. And, and it's thought that he suffered from some sort of chronic illness, that there's one of the reasons why Paul encouraged him to drink wine. That's just another, by the way. You may or may not have anything in common with Timothy, but you do have one thing in common with him. You have within you something I'd like to call a divine spark. You can call it a deposit of grace. You could call it the fire of God. You could call it him, Christ in you. Even if you are not a Christian today, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Within you, there is a divine spark that can be called into full and blazing flame and fire. And so, whatever else we think about Timothy, I want, you to, I want you to put yourself right in the crosshairs of this talk. Why? Because you own the fact that within you, there is a divine spark this morning. And the Apostle Paul is talking to us today, and he's calling you to fan that and call that into flame. Let me justify to you why I think Paul's letters to Timothy are best summed up as be intentional. I'm going to give you a really long list now. Don't even attempt to write this down. You can have my notes afterwards if you want. Over the course of two letters, here's some of the things that Paul says to Timothy. Feed yourself. Discipline yourself. Remember the prophetic word. Pay close attention to yourself. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in these things. Persevere in these things. Flee from these things. Pursue these things. Fight this fight. Take hold of eternal life. Keep the commandments. Guard what's been entrusted to you. Be strong. Preach the word. Continue in everything that you've learned. And you're thinking, man, I thought we were in a grace culture. Paul, you're killing me. I've just been given a shopping list of over 15 things that I've got to do. Surely it's all about be. Can I not just be Paul? What I'm fascinated by is at the end of his life, Paul is hammering home to Timothy, if you don't live life, life will live you. And my race is done, but yours isn't. And so I'm going to give you a real big key, Timothy, and it is this, live intentionally. See, I think it is all about be, but it's also all about do. Because as you all know by now, those of you who know me well, maturity is, oh, it's almost a pantomime, but not quite. But it's dooby dooby doo. Dooby dooby doo. Oh no, I'm not gonna sing. You'll know when I'm really arrived, because I'll sing to you, right? But it's both and. We have a real emphasis on identity and being. And if I ever sound like I'm taking that away from you, boot me into the car park, right? Identity, our identity as sons and daughters, our being is crucial to us. But if it doesn't translate into doing, then we are not growing into the image and likeness of the one who went before us and showed us the way. Thanks, somebody agrees with me. I will challenge you today, I don't make any apology for that, but I'll just trust Holy Spirit to fix it with you afterwards. Oh my gosh, getting excited. Paul in Galatians 6 verse 8 says this, If you sow to the flesh, you reap from the flesh. If you sow to the Spirit, you reap from 
the same spirit. We pay a huge amount of attention to the appetite of our physical body and ensuring that we feed it well. Yeah? In Galatians 6.8, Paul says, if you sow to the Spirit, you reap from the Spirit. I wonder how many of us, myself included, pay as much attention to our spiritual appetite and how we feed our spirit as much as how we feed our body and pay attention to our natural body. Paying attention to our physical body is really important, but it's vitally important because we're spirit before we're body that we pay attention to our spiritual appetite. So my question to you is, if, if there is a divine spark inside of you, your spirit, and you're going to fan that into flame, how are you feeding yourself spiritually? I suspect that many Christians in this day and age spiritually are starving themselves to death because they are paying absolutely no attention to what they are sowing into their spiritual inner world. And one of the things I'm challenging us to do today is address that, if that is indeed true to any extent. Philippians 2 verses 12 and 13 say, we are invited to work out what he's worked in. It's a partnership with him. These are intentional verses. James said, don't just listen to the word, but be doers of it. Intentional living. One of the most amazing ways in which lack of intentionality shows up is in finance. And Jesus told a parable once that said, if we don't know how to steward earthly riches, money, why would he entrust us with true riches, spiritual riches? So one of the ways I might ask you to think about how intentionally living you are is to ask you how intentional you are in terms of managing your money. Now I've really baked that cake and iced it, haven't I? Because I'm asking you to do something, and now I'm asking you to do something with money. I'm probably on my way into the car park, aren't I, very shortly, if I carry on this talk. But if you wanted to do an audit of how intentionally are you living, look at how well you're managing your money. Because that is a key indicator of how intentional you are about life. You see, if you don't manage your money, your money, or your lack of it, manages you. Anybody agree with that? Great. Please talk to me. I like conversation. So how does that show up? That shows up. And by the way, this is nothing about a building. There's a need. And we're asked to meet it. And then we go to our financial mirror called our bank account and go, I can't meet that need. Why? Because my, manage, my money is managing me. Because I'm in debt. And I can't give. And all of a sudden, in you, there's a, a conflictedness because spiritually you're thinking, I want to be generous on every occasion. I want to give. But my lack of intentional living results in my bank account looking rather sick. And now my money, or my lack of it, is managing me. I don't have, in that moment, the resources I should have because I'm not stewarding well the resources I have been given. That is 
painfully true in financial terms, because you're all wincing now, I'm sure, thinking he's talking about money, I wish he'd stop talking about money. But it's also true spiritually. If we don't live intentionally spiritually, then when we come over here and there's a demand placed on us spiritually for something, we go to our spiritual bank account and we're in the red. Why? Because we've not been managing our spiritual resources well enough. You really need me to encourage you today. Sorry, I'm in the red in terms of encouragement. I haven't got any left to give you. In fact, I need you to encourage me. I tell you what, let's have a pity party. Yeah? This is how it works, right? You're down the dumps. I'm down the dumps. So let's be down the, down the dumps together. Good luck with that one, as somebody once said. That's a symptom of, I'm just not living intentionally in terms of spiritually. Money doesn't leave my account by accident. Money leaves my account by design. Money doesn't come into my account by accident. It comes in by design. It doesn't stay there by accident. It stays there by design. Intentionally living towards my finances. I'm pressing the financial button only because it's fun, but also because Jesus told a parable that said, if you can't manage this stuff well, why would you be entrusted with the stuff that really matters over here? It's a beautiful, painful way of auditing ourselves towards intentional living. And if I've made any of you feel guilty, forgive me because that is not my intention. If I'm convicting you that says, ouch, that hurts, I'm going to have to do something about that, you're welcome. <laughs> Just say, that nasty mark, go to Holy Spirit and Jesus and Father and say, that nasty mark made me feel really uncomfortable about that and have a conversation with him about it. And then hatch a plan, because you're never in a mess if you've got a plan. Right, quickly, my, this, is, this is meant to be the body of the message, it's now going to be my clothes. <laughs> okay, Mark, how do I live intentionally and stir up the divine spark that's within me? I think I've got four things. You've heard them all from me before. Number one, the ultimate, the ultimate Pauline imperative. Be filled with Holy Spirit. Honestly, folks, trying to do the Christian life without the person and power of Holy Spirit is effectively trying to run your car without any petrol in it you end up pushing this thing around, working yourself into a real sweat and wishing or wishing you could do something else because it's horrible and painful and difficult. And then you realize, my car doesn't fill itself up by accident, it fills itself up by design. Sarah's fills herself up by accident <laughs> because by my design, I put petrol in it. Just saying. She'll get her own back one day on me on that one. Can I borrow your car, Sarah? Yes, you can. First thing I have to do, I mean, I literally limped to the garage. I had to pay 5p a litre more because I couldn't risk going any further. I'm being too funny, this could take too long. You, you, um, thank you for your sympathy laughter. It always works. The, um, the key there is, you... You want, doing a Christian life without being filled with the Holy Spirit is just madness. Definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. If the Christian life is hard, ask yourself the question, how full are you? 
And if you don't feel full, fill yourself up. I know he's a person, but the Bible allows us to talk about him in volumetric terms. He says, be filled with him. So there's a point about intimacy, but there's also a point about fullness, which is a function of intimacy. Be filled with Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you already have him within you. But the Bible talks about a separate experience, which in my case was not very separate. It all happened at once, crash, bang, and wallop, of being filled with Holy Spirit. And if you have been filled with Holy Spirit, you leak because you're holy. So you have to go on being filled. Go on, be being filled. That's the actual Greek tense of that verse in, um, in Ephesians 5. And now I'm going to say something else to you. You don't have to speak in tongues. In my, in my the, the Assemblies of God Pentecostal Church I got saved into, until you spoke in tongues, they did not believe you were filled with Holy Spirit. So they like kept you there, under the hand. Say banana backwards. <laughs> ananab, 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 I think it is, yeah. Or sell your Honda was another one, I think, yeah. I'm selling my Honda, I am selling my Honda, honestly. Um, <laughs> I used to have Hondas, that's by the way. Um, I'm not going to get hung up, and I don't want you getting hung up about whether it's the, you're only baptized in spirit if you speak in tongues. But Paul said, I do it more than everybody else. And the reason he did it is because when you speak in tongues, you build yourself up. One of the ways in which you fan the flame on the inside of your heart into flame is to speak in tongues, people. So if you can, do, do it. If you can't do it, have somebody pray with you and then just go away and sort it out. I, was, I shared a room with a guy called Cedric at the university. He wasn't saved. He didn't stay unsaved long sharing a room with me. Um, I talked to him all about Holy Spirit baptism. I said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, Cedric, you speak in tongues. When you get back from your lecture, I'll pray for you. He got back in the afternoon after his physics lecture, and he was like smiling at me. He had a glint in his eye. I said, what have you been up to? He said, well, I was in the toilets of the physics block, and Holy Spirit filled me, and I started speaking in tongues. And I went, What? <laughs> I was like waiting to take all the credit for this <laughs> and Holy Spirit turned up in the physics block of, the, of Swansea University and filled him and he spoke in tongues and he has never looked back since he's just got a headship of a whole suite of schools in South Wales and I'm so excited about what that guy's going to do now Yeah, but um, that's about being filled with spirit I haven't got time to unpack that anymore but be filled and if you can speak in tongues and if you can't keep pursuing that number two left is be filled with the Spirit. Right, read your Bible. You're thinking, oh no, here we go. He's like a stack record. There's a parallel passage to Ephesians 5 in Colossians 3. So in, Coloss in, in Ephesians 5, we're getting filled with the Spirit and we're singing and we're making, singing psalms and making melody in the heart of the Lord, speaking to one another, right? We're doing all of that. You go to Colossians. We're doing all the same stuff, people, but this time we're not being filled with Holy Spirit. He says, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. So now I'm asking you a second question. When was the last time you read your Bible? Man, I am five strikes and I'm out here. I've talked about money, told you to speak in tongues, and now I've asked you when was the last time you read your Bible. Please come back. They won't, you know, I don't get up here often. It's all right. Um, <laughs> One of the, if not the most important questions of this generation, and I keep saying it until I'm no longer able to, is what are we going to make of the Bible? 
answering that question affects our children and our children's children and our children's 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 destiny. Not only that, but also our effectiveness in the world. What are we going to do with it? We're going to read it. And if we don't understand it, we're going to talk to somebody else about it. But we have to feed ourselves on the word of God. Man does not live by every, by bread alone. Matthew 4, 4, quoting Deuteronomy, Jesus. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You can make that verse the prophetic word if you want to. But as I've already said many times before, I think, the ultimate prophetic word that hangs over your life and my life is called the Bible. And you don't need anybody else to deliver that to you. That's medieval Catholicism. You can access the Bible for yourself because it's no longer in Latin. It's in a variety of English languages and Welsh if you want it. Hoyle. Um, so you can, you can read it, but when did you? And how conscious are you of feeding yourself with the word of God? Feeding yourself on the word of God means that it's ultimately within you. It stops being an external thing and the written word meets the living word on the inside of you and becomes powerful when you then speak it back. Jesus found himself in a situation in the wilderness where the devil was trading scripture with him because the devil knows the Bible really well. Jesus had stewarded his internal well so well, world so well, that he was in a position to say to the devil, it is written, it is written, it is written, and then he would quote the verse. We can find ourselves in situations where there's a demand placed on our spiritual bank account, and we're in the red in terms of Bible, because we don't have an answer. Somebody somewhere said something once about the fact that maybe, possibly, Jesus did like say something similar to what might have been the fact that God's good. Do you know what I mean? Think like, <laughs> and then somebody, some bright spark from a cult comes to you and says, well, it says this here. And then you're on the back foot because you don't know it is written. Now, I'm not standing here saying I know the whole Bible, but I know quite a lot of it. I had to memorize Romans 8 once, the whole, the whole of it, which was brilliant because a lot of chunks of that are still in me now. I'm just encouraging you with all my heart, stir up a passion for the Bible and read it and see that it's something you should eat. Number three, there is only four. I loved what Ben and Ruth said because they basically took point three and made it fly. One of the things that Paul says to Timothy is if you're going to fan into flame the gift that's within you, one of the ways in which you stoke the fire is to remember the prophetic words that have been spoken over your life. Fires go out unless you tend them. Bill Johnson says that he starts the fire, but we keep it going, right? You light a fire and you congratulate yourself. Whoa, I'm on fire. Two hours later, you're sitting in front of your log fire and thinking, it's going to go out, panic. You're running around like you're chucking, what are you doing? You're chucking logs on it. You're putting fuel onto that fire. One of the ways in which you stoke up the fire in you is to remind yourself of what God has spoken to you prophetically. Paul encourages Timothy to go to battle with it. Do you know, have you ever had, this is why it's important to remember prophetic words, situations I'm sure you all have where God promises you something and the next minute the world goes to hell in a handbasket and you think, that's about a completely opposite 
to what God has just promised me. And you go, oh, maybe I didn't hear God. Okay, just put it on the shelf, forget about it, and then live miserably. Or we can do what Paul encourages Timothy to do, which is remember the prophetic word and then go into battle with it. Anybody that wants to come after you, go into battle with the prophetic word. So devil, let's have a conversation. You might know the Bible, but let me just tell you what God has promised me. He has said this, and this is what I'm going to have, and this is what I'm going to pursue. Sometimes it's good to remind God, not because he's forgotten, but because the prophets often didn't just prophesy, they prayed. And what they prayed was, God, this is what you have already said. Well, to do that, you've got to have read it and remembered it. But I really want to encourage you, stoke that fire, be filled with Holy Spirit. Let the word of God dwell richly in you. Engage with the prophetic word. And then lastly, number four, spend time, invest time in people who set you on fire. And actually, I'd encourage us as a church, be people who set other people on fire. This world has got so much to offer that drags us down and snuffs us out. The last thing we need is to be around a church community that's doing that. Thinking hell's bells and might as well go and live in the world. It's much easier. What we need to do as a community, need, strong word, but forgive me for saying that, but I think what I think heaven is encouraging us to do is to grow up into the image of the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit and be sublime encouragers. Be sublime encouragers. Drop alongside somebody and when they come into your world, make sure that when you've left them, you've left them more encouraged than you found them. Now to encourage them, you have to have courage in you, which means you have to live intentionally so that you are in yourself courageous. Does this all make sense? It's a big loop. I steward myself so I'm encouraged. Then when I meet you, my gosh, you're a bit of a black hole. Never mind. Heaven is in my heart. Here we go. Pouring in all of the encouragement that I can find, of which there is limitless resource. Because I'm connected to the one of God of all encouragement. So we need to be a community. We should be a community that really sets each other alight. I leave you thinking, wow, I can do anything. Rather than, oh my gosh. Here he comes again. Let's cross the road. I know I'm, I'm placing a lot of demand on you, but I think it's healthy to suggest that we should be a community that leaves each other better than when we found each other, and in the world too. I spent a whole bunch of time yesterday with people I used to work with, and I came away so encouraged, because they were all encouraging me. And I was thinking, man, you're not Christians, and you've got this encouragement thing cracked. I can learn a thing or two from you, because you're, I'm leaving this place feeling like I've done a brilliant job. And I was so encouraged by spending time with them. If people around you are putting you down and putting you out, you could avoid them, but they'll soon work out, hang on a minute, they're using their actions and not their words to communicate to me. That's what toddlers do. I'm not going to use my words, I'm going to use my actions to communicate to you. If somebody's bothering you in that way, be brave enough to have a conversation with them that says, look, this is the effect you're having on me. I really want to encourage you, so I'm going to encourage you. And one of the things I'm going to encourage you is not to leave me feeling like this. 
Now, I can choose not to feel that way. That's true. But I'd really love to meet you and feel differently about us meeting. So how about we try it again? I'll go out, come back in, and let's try that one more time. What I'm saying is it's really important that we disciple each other into healthy relationships. When Sarah was... Um, when our kids were born, Sarah gave up her paid job in, uh, in medical secretary to mind children. Sarah became what's called a childminder. And we had, it felt like hundreds. <laughs> it's probably only five or six. But as our young children were young growing up, we had loads of other people's kids around in our house for long periods of time. And we fed them. So they sat around our family table because we fought for the table in our family. It's massively important to us. That's a separate talk in itself. But um, many of these children would be single, would be only children, only kids. And their parents would come in and they'd say, she doesn't eat. Got a real problem with food. He doesn't eat, he's really fussy. And something miraculous would happen. Because there'd be me and Sarah, Abby, Beth and Harriet, and then name your child minder, I can think of a minded children, and we would invite them into our family meal and have them eat with us, and they ate. Without exception, they just all ate with us. One of the ways to cultivate a healthy appetite is to get involved in family that surrounds you with what normal and good looks like in terms of appetite. Whatever you're pursuing, chances are somebody's watching you and well, you can take them off in that direction or you can take them off in that direction. But as we as a community cultivate a healthy appetite and metaphorically speaking, we know how to feed ourselves, then those who don't know how to feed themselves will come in amongst us and say, wow, this community knows how to be filled with Holy Spirit. This community knows it is written. This community is very aware of what God has spoken to them. Maybe I should join in and do the same. It's called discipleship. Two things we need to avoid. There's something called tall poppy syndrome. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's an English-speaking world. I think it's Australia and the UK have it in particular described that way. Basically, it's this, it's this thing in a culture where somebody looks like they're being raised up. They become metaphorically a tall poppy. God's grace, God's goodness, God's anointing, God's favor. And then the community goes, nah, chop you down. We do it with leaders all the time in Britain. We do it with successful people all the time. I think it's inculcated into a British culture, actually. You're sticking out. I don't like that. I'm going to chop you down. Who would be a leader in Britain, right? American culture doesn't have this problem, tall poppy problem, because why? Because they're all tall poppies. I'm a tall poppy, and therefore when you're a tall poppy, I'm very happy for you, yeah? They drag each other up, <laughs> not drag each other down. And I think if we're gonna be a culture of encouragement, we just have to be okay with tall poppies. See somebody standing out, doing something amazing, go, go be amazing, because you are. Rather than, I think I just need to rein you in a little bit, because I think you're getting a bit ahead of yourself here. I really believe the Lord's asking us to, to address that. We need to hold each other forwards and hold each other upwards 
And that's going to take courage. We need to know who we are to do that. But let's avoid tall poppy syndrome. Right, I'm nearly done. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Imagine in an iron-iron thing, sparks are flying, fires being created through healthy relationship and interaction, and sparks fly. So I'm thinking, ooh, that might be tricky. I'm going to finish with a quote from one of my favorites called Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was an American missionary he was killed by the people that he was trying to reach in 1956 at the age of 29 in Ecuador. He was an amazing man who wrote many amazing things. One of them he wrote, things he wrote was, I don't want to live a long life, but I do want to live a full life because I want to be like my Lord Jesus, is what he said. And he died at the age of 29, martyred by the tribe he was trying to reach. He said this, it is written, so he reads his Bible, the Lord makes his ministers flames of fire. Am I ignitable? God deliver me from the dread asbestos of other things. Saturate me with the oil of the spirit that I might be a flame. God deliver me from the dread asbestos of other things. You know, attentional living is eradicating anything in your life that undermines your spiritual health and your walk with the Lord, as well as pursuing being filled with Holy Spirit, reading your Bible, engaging with the prophetic word, and hanging out with people who are going to set you on fire. So I'm going to finish with this simple thought, quoting myself. You're never in a mess if you have a plan. So I'm just going to hand over in a second, but I just want to land this very clearly in one place. I wonder what you will now do with what you've now heard. Because you could go away and think, glad that's over, and uh, put the telly on and have a meal and find something else to make yourself feel better. Or you could say, I'm feeling a bit stirred up. What, what should I do with that feeling? And you're never in a mess if you have a plan. So with my, from my heart to yours, what I would say to you is, stirring up that hunger, firing up that passion, passion is because you're going to live intentionally. Living intentionally looks like you're going to plan to do something. So my question is, what would you do different now? Just one thing. When you leave this room today, you think, of all that noise, the one thing that stood out to me was, I am going to go and do this differently. I'm going to get on a financial budgeting course. I'm going to give to Project Home because actually I let all the Project Home videos pass me by and I haven't put anything in the offering yet. Do you know what? Project Home giving is still open. We might have gift days, but you can give to Project Home anytime you like. So maybe you're going to do that. Maybe you're going to think, like, I've got to read my Bible. Whatever it is, maybe just think about for a minute, what would I do now different that I wasn't going to do before? And I'm going to hatch a plan. And then I'm going to execute. And it's 12 o'clock, and I'm done. Thank you. <laughs>